1: Do you actually think it's possible to rediscover Christmas? Most of us—I've uh, said this before—most of us have celebrated at least a couple Christmases in our lives. Um, we've been through the story, we know the details, uh, and honestly, you know, you can get just kind of breezing right over the details. You can breeze over the story, the importance of it, and get into a mode where it's just like, okay, it's Christmas time, and that means X, Y, and Z, and very, very little of it has to do with Jesus. And then Jesus does not get invited to his own birthday party. And that's awkward, right? It's awkward. And so to rediscover the passion that God had for us, the beauty of the story, and the power of what was actually happening, at Christmas, right? To be able to see those things and put them together is really where my heart has been this Christmas season. To to take us through the story, again, starting in Genesis and saying, okay, what was going on in the beginning and where is it all heading and how does the Christmas story fit into that? Because my heart for this church, my heart for people even watching is that we would understand that Jesus Christ brings freedom. But this is a tricky thing because we have to step into that. Like there's There's a There's a part that we play in being able to experience this freedom. A lot of us might know mentally and maybe assent to that. Like, okay, yeah, there's freedom, there's peace, there's joy, there's hope, there's all these things. But to say, like, on Tuesday night when your world falls apart, that then in that moment, that that's when you're going to say, okay, but I'm going to lean into this. I know freedom is mine. I know I don't have to think this way. I don't have to be fearful about that anymore. I don't have to dread that. I don't have to be that way. I don't have to keep treating my spouse that way or talking to my kids that way. I don't need to keep leaning into that addiction or into that porn or into that old habit. I don't need to do that. I can stop that cycle. That's when it gets hard is when you're in the middle of it. And when I talked to friends just this week, just this week, and major things were happening in their lives, and I had to remind them, I said, hey, hey, remember, hey, this is what we're talking about on Sundays. This is where the rubber meets the road. Like, this is where this stuff actually makes sense. In the middle of this, this is when Jesus wanted us to experience these things. Not when you're sitting here on Sunday morning, or you're in your quiet time with your coffee, you know, early morning, or you're driving down the road listening to K-Love, which is so encouraging, right? It's when you get rear-ended or somebody cuts you off and you're listening to K-Love right? It's so when your boss says, hey, do you have a I need to talk to you. And your company's getting downsized, right? Or you look at your energy bill and it's like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize there were 19 other people living in my house, right? I need to find these people. Why is my electric bill so high, right? And so all these things bring tension and crisis into our lives. And Jesus says, and I bring freedom into that, into that, into your real life, right? This is not a Hallmark special, this is the risen Savior, King of the universe, saying right in the midst of it, I want you to know I bring freedom. So that's where we've been this month to try to pick this apart. And the reason for me, the, one of the most important reasons, and don't miss this, one of the most important reasons to think about the totality of the story, how big the story of Christmas is, is because this is how Jesus Christ, if he's your Savior, if you're following Jesus, or at least if you're even curious about him, you need to see that this is how Jesus saw his part, his earthly part. He saw it as part of a whole. Because when he's on the road to Emmaus with his two disciples after his resurrection, and he comes up to his guys and he says, look, this is how I define my life and my ministry, my birth, my life, death, burial, resurrection. This is how I look at what you guys just witnessed. And he says this to them in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. He says, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets. So again, he's going all the way back to Genesis and Jesus interprets for them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. So how do we view Christmas? Well, hopefully we view it like Jesus did. Hopefully we see his life as being part of something bigger than just a nativity story or just Easter. Hopefully we see it as something that's part of something huge that God had been talking about for thousands of years. And that's what I want to do today, because like I said, we've been now in this series on Advent, and we're looking at these different uh, parts of the story. So week one, of course, was looking at the hope that was promised ahead. We're in Genesis, we're in Deuteronomy, we're in different parts of Isaiah. And we said, okay, so what's what's the problem? What's going on? What kind of hope is offered? And then the second week, we said, all right, so let's stay in the Old Testament, because we're still not to Jesus on earth yet. And we're, who are we putting our faith in? Like I said earlier, Isaiah 40, creator of the universe. That's who we're putting our faith in. Last week, we looked at the joy of the story, right? Because the battle had been won. Like there was victory announced at the birth of Jesus in Luke 2. And we'll, we'll land there because now we're in part two of Advent, looking at the birth of Jesus and looking forward. And then today, we're going to be, like I said earlier, we're going to be looking at the peace of Jesus. Because this story all has to fit together. It all has to fit together. Or there's zero power in it. If it's just Jesus showing up, manger, and all cute baby Jesus, there's no power in that. It's just a it's a fun, cutesy story that we celebrate at Christmas. But if in fact it is the Saviour of the world that has come, if in fact God, Creator of the universe, came in the manger, there's there's real peace, there's real joy, there's real hope, right, and there's real faith because we're putting our faith in the Creator of the universe not just a fun, cutesy little story in Bethlehem. It's part of something magnificent. And that's how Jesus saw his story, being a part of something huge. And so that, I'm, I'm hoping that's where we're arriving together because as we look at Advent, I want us to remember that Advent is just a, a comes from a Latin word, Adventus, that means arrival or coming. So we look at the first arrival, but we also look with hope toward the second one. Because Jesus, like I said, Jesus said he's coming back. I believe him, right? I believe him with my eternity. I'll believe him with that too, right? Like, I trust him with that. So that's what we're doing is looking at the Genesis to Revelation story of Jesus through Advent. And on top of that, we have something today. Uh, if you want to go to the peace one, we have something today, I think, that, as I mentioned earlier, we all could use a little love as this peace. Because... If you watch the news for 13 seconds, you're going to see there's not a lot of this available out there. You're going to see that a lot of people need this. Uh, you're going to see that we're kind of a mess all over the place, and it can create a lot of fear about tomorrow and about the economy and so many things. And it's like those are all very real things. But we're going to talk. Jesus specifically talks about all these very real things and how his peace comes in the context of all those very real things. And as a, if you're a follower of Christ, like do you realize that you have that? Do you realize that you have that for other people? Uh, I'm going to say later, but I'll mention now, the, the people that I know that have such a relationship with Christ that it's it's inspiring to me. They seem to be some of the most peaceful people I know, right? Because they have that trust in God. They have that trust in Christ. They've built their life around that. And you look at the story of David and Goliath, right? Right? we all know that story. That's like a really fun one. The kids did it. If you remember in their video last month and like somebody got to hit their older sister with something hard, I don't know what it was, but right. And so it's like this story of him defeating Goliath, but it wasn't just like he was a random character. It wasn't like he was just some dude. And they're like, man, I really wish we had some young kid with zero military experience to come in here and save the day. And David was like, oh, I'm I'm a young kid with zero military experience. I can handle this. Right. He had built his whole life around trusting God. And he was aware of all the evidence in his past. And so this week, when I had to talk to somebody that was going through a really difficult time, I said, hey, let's, let's just like slow down for a sec. What has God done in your life in the past? I said, because this is where it matters. Times like this. I said, your husband almost lost his arm more than once. <laughs> more than what? Not many people can say stuff like that, right? And I said, and yet, here he is with two functioning arms. I said, "Well, God get you through this? Yeah, I needed to hear that. yes yes, that's right. I need to, that's where I need to be. I need to remember the goodness of God. And it was just like, and it's in those moments where God says, I want you to have my peace, not just as some like ethereal ideal. That's like somewhere out there. It's like, no, in your life. And that's why King David did what he did because he had built his life around faith in God. And so he, in that moment, he could step up and have peace as he faced his giant. So these are things like, I'm just trying to make it really practical. And then this morning, as we look at the story, um, I want to bring us back to our Our question that I don't, again, I don't want to get too far away from because we're going to end our four Sundays today. Christmas Eve, we're going to join together and we're going to look at Romans 6, 7, and 8 to try to have more application from our life. Because if you don't know, spoiler alert, Romans 6, you don't need to be a slave anymore. Romans 7, why do I continue to struggle with things so much then? And then Romans 8, uh, you have victory right? So there's this struggle in these three chapters and that's where we're going to land on Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas morning, we're going to finish up the Bible and we're going to be in Revelation 19. And we're going to look at who Jesus is. And and again, the fullness of his story on Christmas morning. So we're going to round out the Christmas story. But today our question, next PJ, this Advent season, every Sunday we've asked this, what would it look like for you to embrace the freedom Jesus offers you? Now, this is a very personal question for you. I don't know all of your stories. I know like a lot of details about a lot of your stories, but I don't know what you walked up the stairs with this morning and Jesus is saying to you, you can stop that now. You can put that down now. You can have freedom about that now. That doesn't need to just continue to eat you up. That's just the way i always been. I know, Jesus says, and you can stop today. You can have freedom today. And I don't know what that is for you, but this is, you know, th- my job is not just to tell you what you should think. It's uh, really, it's to tell you how to think, you know, not what to think, but how to think. Let's think biblically. Let's think like Jesus would want us to think, right? Let's think like Romans 12, one and two. Let's renew our minds and like, and align our lives with Jesus Christ. Like that's how we should think. But as far as what, particularly in your life, like that's like God is going to do, A lot of that work and of course i'm going to teach scripture i'm going to tell you what it says yes i'm not saying i'm never going to tell you what to think but on this kind of a question like that really is a personal one like jesus what do you want me to have freedom from what can i stop carrying right so years and years and years sometimes we carry things because what paul would say and as a reminder about this freedom thing galatians 5 i think says it best for freedom for freedom christ set us free Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stop going back to that bitterness. Stop going back to that anger. Stop going back to that addiction. Stop thinking, doing, acting, behaving that way. Like these things are harmful for you. Christ died for your freedom, right? Well, I can't change the situation I'm in. It's somebody else that's doing it to me or saying it to me or it's, you know, those kinds of things. But do we drive this? Does that drive us to bitterness, right? Uh, when I talk to a lot of people and they start praying for situations like that, they see that God doesn't always change the other person or the situation. God begins to change them, which is really interesting how often I hear that. As people begin to pray through things, God begins to change them, and their perspective just becomes different because of the situation that they're in. And so I don't want to get too far away from these ideas as we as we wrap this Advent series up. And so next, though, our, our definition of freedom, as we saw last Sunday in Revelation 12, And even in the Old Testament, you see Satan called the accuser. So He's he's like labeled, he's identified as the accuser, the one that wants to do that to you. And so what I see in freedom, and hopefully what you see in freedom next, is that Satan, the accuser, is gonna take your sin and point you towards shame. And Jesus, our savior, my savior, is gonna take your sin and point you toward what? Freedom. This is not an idea for me. This is because I love people and conversations I have with people. I'm learning these lessons from people. I'm watching other people be buried in shame because of sin they feel like they can't put down. I, in my own life, have been buried in shame because of sin I didn't feel I could put down. Well, it's generational. I learned it from my family. I've got emotional scarring from my past that makes me think and feel this way. And Jesus is like, yeah, you do. And guess what? You don't need to continue to be that way. Like I've walked through big time scarring of my soul from things that happened to me when I was a kid and Jesus Christ has set me free because of my relationship with him, because of the work he did on the cross, he took all that stuff and he pointed me toward freedom. And so this is not just ideas here we're talking about. This is like so personal to me and so personal to the people I love and care about here and elsewhere, just lessons I've learned from watching life and reading scripture and what God has shown me. So this, is again, this just was big, and I wanted to make sure we don't get too far away from what freedom is that, that Christ offers us. And it's today as we land in peace, um, I think uh, most of us are probably familiar with the Old Testament word for peace, which is what? Does anybody know? Shalom, right? Uh, so most of us know that word, and uh, it's offered as a, as a greeting sometimes, And but God's shalom, his peace. What is the New Testament Greek word for that? I was been super impressed if somebody could have thrown that one out there. So uh, you have shalom in the Old Testament, New Testament Greek word, God's irini. Say irini. There's your Greek word. So now you know, Old Testament and New Testament, um, God's peace. Now, the words are whatever. It doesn't really matter. What is important, though, is that they're used in very intentional ways, and and they're mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. Like, that's really impressive that in the New Testament, Peace is such an issue that God doesn't ever stop talking about it. Why? Because life is difficult, right? It's unfair. It's hard. And so he's constantly talking about peace in the Bible. And if you look in the Bible, just for comparison's sake, if you look in the Bible, how many miracles are listed in the Bible? A lot of history, a lot of years covered there. There's only about 250 miracles recorded in the Bible. If you span that out over the time in the Bible, you're looking at one miracle per eight years. Everybody's like, oh, it's full of miracles. Not really. It's just God's doing something, and that's being recorded. And so it seems like it, but 250 miracles, and God says 300 times plus, he's talking about peace. So if this idea continues to come up, it must be important. It must be something that God wants us to have. It must be something that was hoped for, talked about, and realized fully in Jesus Christ. Like, if that's part of the whole story, and Jesus says his story, his story is part of the whole story, then peace really must be realized fully in Jesus Christ, like for you, in this life, like, real, like real-time peace. So if we look at that story, if we look at how that all pieces together, and we go back to the Old Testament and begin to think about peace in the context of shalom, how did people understand it all the way up to when Jesus Christ comes. And in Luke 2, the angel says, peace on earth to those whom he favors. And that's what I want to do just for a minute is to say, what were they talking about and how did they understand that message that peace is here, right? What were they looking at? So if you go all the way back to Deuteronomy, so here's God setting up the nation of Israel. Here's God giving them their laws, the Deuteronomy uh, slide there. If you go, or number slide, if you go to that one, sorry, if you go to that one and you look at this passage here, you're going to find a song that we sing a lot here at this church. This is a high priestly blessing that God says, I want you to pray this over my people. Fair enough, right? So if we do that, God says, my blessing is going to go with this. And I want you to pay attention to how this ends. We do sing this a lot, but I really want you to pay attention to these words. So in Numbers chapter six, you hear this. And read these words with me. We'll just say this blessing over each other. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with the favor on you and what? Give you his peace right? That was the prayer that God wanted his priests to say over his people. And I love that the the words of peace are where this ends, that we desire, God desires us to have that peace of God. And so right at the beginning, I'm starting a nation and I want you to know this is going with you. So there's where it starts. And fun fact, so a lot of you guys remember um, Spock, right? Leonard Nimoy, right? Live long and prosper. So where did that come from? So traditionally, what developed when they were saying this blessing was this little handhold where the priests would hold their hands like so, and they would say this blessing from number six and hold their hands like this. How did Leonard Nimoy know that? Well, a tradition that developed in the Jewish culture was that when this blessing was said, a a like a cloth was laid over top of their hands so nobody could see the hands. Leonard Nimoy's dad was a priest, and so he got to stand underneath this thing, and he's hugging his dad, and so he remembers growing up, his dad always holding his hands out. So when Star Trek comes along, and they come up with this cool little saying, live long and prosper, one of the directors was like, hey, we need some kind of like hand thing to go with that, and Leonard Nimoy's like, so there you go, that's free, you can take that wherever you want to go, all right? So whenever you see that, you're going to be like, no, not live long and prosper. I want you to quote number six is what I want you to do. All right. Uh, And so, but that was the blessing. This is like, I'm going to establish my nation. And this is one of the first things I want to do. Okay. So then let's step a little bit forward. Because remember, how are people thinking? How does this fit into the bigger story of Jesus? So what were they thinking by the time Jesus shows up? So then let's get into the book of Isaiah. So if you go to Isaiah, very, very famous Christmas passage here out of Isaiah chapter nine. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Okay, so this person, this Messiah, this hoped-for person, it's going to be a person. It's going to be a son, and the government will be on his shoulders. So this person, this Messiah, whoever's coming is going to be absolutely in charge. So this is a pretty big character we're talking about here. But it gets bigger, right? It gets bigger than that. So in the next verse, verse 7, he will be named. So these are the titles. Wonderful Counselor. Somebody we need to listen to. Mighty God. self-explanatory. Eternal Father, and then what? Prince of Peace. So this person is not only going to be somebody we listen to, not only going to be God, which is pretty big in itself, Eternal Father, now we're getting some Trinity flavors here, but this person is going to be Prince of Peace. So this is 700 years before Jesus, so now they're hoping for peace. Jesus shows up under Roman control. Right not a good time to be a Jew at this right in this juncture in their history. so he shows up and they're hoping for the prince of peace, all right, so go to the next one. so still staying in Isaiah, the result of righteousness will be what. Peace. All right, so they're understanding again, right? So it's not just this person is going to be peace, but also, though, that there's going to be a relationship between how I follow God and the peace that I have. The effect of righteousness, I love how this says it in the CSB, will be quiet confidence forever. And then this is what I see in people that I admire and look up to, is this quiet confidence, this peace that they seem to have because the relationship with God has just built that into them. Like they know God's got them. And people that I love and respect and admire most in my life, I see this in them. And it's inspiring to me because I know them that peace is real. And I know it's tangible because they've built their life around faith in God that's resulted in this quiet confidence, regardless of what's going on. I love it. I love seeing that in people. And it's like I want to emulate that in my life with how I follow. But the result of righteousness, the result of my relationship with Christ there's going to be peace. All right. So again, these are the pieces that they're putting together in the Old Testament. So I want you to keep that in mind when Luke 2 shows up. So now we're into the New Testament. Now Jesus, his his victory is being announced, right? there. There is this understanding that this Prince of Peace is here because now peace to men is finally here. So the, all these expectations of the Old Testament shalom now show up in the New Testament and God's irini, right? The Greek word for that. But now this peace is here, and what you see in Luke chapter two, verses thirteen and fourteen. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Right? And we looked at that last week. Right? There is legit heavenly warfare going on because Jesus Christ, is, his arrival, has declared victory. It's again, it's not overtime. Right down the line, it's going to come down a field goal or penalty shot. We're not talking like that, right? This is absolute victory that's been won because Jesus has arrived, but there's still this massive like spiritual warfare thing happening. And then you have them praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth to people he favors. Peace on earth. And as I said uh, last Sunday, earlier in chapter two, they are coming to announce the gospel of Jesus Christ. The angel, when he's alone says, I'm here to announce the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus, every other time in the New Testament is talked about, is talked about in light of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Absolute victory over death is what the good news of Jesus Christ is. So right at the beginning, and this is something that we need to make sure we we pick up on with the story of Jesus, is the entire story, the entire point of it all is announced at the birth of Jesus Christ. The Savior is here. The victorious Savior is here. The Prince of Peace is here. All of this, everything, the whole story has come to fruition right now. Absolute victory is being won because this baby has been born. And that victory is available to you. The freedom is available to you. So you that there's a lot going on right here. This, this peace that by the time Jesus shows up and what they're expecting, um, is a little different. The peace he's offering, the peace they want is military and victory, right? They don't understand really what the Prince of Peace is bringing, but they're announcing it here. Those that he favors, so who is it that he favors? It's those that would accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those that would say, yes, I believe, as Jesus Christ himself says, when you believe in the son of man, you have life. John chapter 1, verse 12, once you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God. Your relationship changes. He favors his children. Peace is on them. Now, when Jesus talks about this, though, when he would grow up, right, and he would be a a grown man, and then all of a sudden he's in ministry, and he's talking about this peace, how does he talk about it? What does he say is available to us? So that's where I want to go now, because in Jesus' ministry, when he begins to talk about this, he says these words that we read this morning out of John 14, because This verse right here is a great memory verse. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And remember, his disciples were about to really come up against it. There's the whole garden scene that's going to happen and the terror that was there. There's the ministry that they would ultimately all give their lives to, right? Like this, he knew things were going to get difficult. And so he's saying these really important things to them at the end. But my question for you is, what does that peace look like? What does that peace look like? Right? What is he actually talking about when he says, I leave my peace with you? It's a gift I give to you. What does it look like in your life? What does it look like big picture? And to give us a couple categories, I think it's helpful to think about it this way. The peace of Jesus is peace with God and it's peace from God. So peace with God and peace from God. So in Romans chapter five, Paul says this about peace with God. I mean, this is step one that Paul just, he gave his life, right? These disciples and the apostles, they gave their lives to this core message right here. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace, what? With God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus Christ come? To secure salvation for us. He came for eternal victory. He came for heaven, kind of stuff, right? He came to actually do this. Uh, it's interesting to me that like younger generations, especially, they're still very spiritual and they still want like the idea a lot of times of heaven and even want to go to heaven, but they feel like there's no way to know how to get to heaven. They're like well, I just I hope I get to heaven. And even uh, my own daughter was talking with several people lately about this, and I'm just you know comments came up to her. I'm just trying to get to heaven. You know, I, I do want to go to heaven. And, and that's the whole point and purpose of Jesus coming is because this right here, for thousands of years, remember, if we look at the Christmas story in light of what it really is, as a part of this huge story, this is why Jesus came, so that we would know we could have eternal life. Because hell is real, right? Because we are broken by sin. And Jesus says, but I've got a solution for that. I got a fix a permanent one for that. And it brings with it all kind of other great stuff. Not just peace with God, but it brings everything else, peace from God as well. And so Paul, this is just like a defining statement here that he talks about a lot. Well, what does that result in this peace with God? And again, remember how people I've seen in my life that have this really good, this relationship with God, that peace from God just seems to flow in them. And what what do we have peace from God? So next up, you have Philippians 4. We were here last month looking at the book of Philippians super famous passage of scripture here and Paul says this about peace because it's huge don't worry about anything that's a that's a really profound statement don't worry about anything not inflation not war not the economy not your in-laws not i've got to host people i don't like for christmas like don't worry about anything right there's everything is included in that but in everything in the midst of everything through prayer petition thanksgiving Present your requests to God because you have a real faith, right? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a real actual faith where in the midst of everything, you can take your requests to God. And Paul says this, this is the result. And the what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that's gonna guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which is a tangible, real thing. Paul suffered so much in his life and yet he was able to say things like this. He knew that nothing could impact him because he had Christ. It made a real tangible difference in his everyday life. These are real men and women that we're reading stories about that really trusted Jesus Christ. And Paul could really say this from jail. That the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding is gonna guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then Jesus is going to weigh in this in his most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. What does the peace of God look like in the midst of real need? Again, trying to make this practical. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, his most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, therefore, I tell you, he says, don't worry about your life. That's pretty big. What you're going to eat, pretty important, or what you would drink. Don't worry about your body or what you will wear. These are all basic needs, right? Your life, what you're going to eat and drink, what your body is doing, what you're going to wear. These are all real needs. And he says, isn't life more important? Isn't life more than food and the body more important? Isn't the body more than clothing? So now he's going to go down and kind of tick these off. And he says this, he's just going to go through these different categories he brought up. Consider the birds in the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them Aren't they worth more? Aren't you worth more than they? Making a profound statement here. Look, you as human beings are more important than animals. You are more important than creation. I died for you, right? I will provide for you because you have value. You are created in the image of God. And so he goes on because he's just going to keep addressing these issues. Can any of you add one moment to his life span by what? Worrying you're not careful, you're going to take some years off of your life. You know what I'm saying? But look, right in the middle of these really important needs, he says, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And I know some people are just worriers by nature. Like, I know some people, their anxiety level is so high, they worry because they're not worrying. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a real thing. Like, people are like, man, I should be worrying about something right now. Okay, I'm worried. (laughs) About what? I don't know, but I'm worrying, so I'm good. You know, but it's like, we can get into that mode where we're just like constantly in a sense of like, uh, and I'm not, what Jesus is not talking about, to be clear, he's not saying you should be foolish and not plan ahead. Like the Bible is full of that kind of wisdom. You need to plan ahead. But what we need to make sure we don't do is just worry constantly about it all. And so Jesus kind of throws that in the middle, another good memory verse maybe for somebody. And then he goes back to what he was talking about. And he says, and why do you worry about your clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor. They don't spin thread yet. I tell you that not even Solomon, right? King Solomon in the Old Testament, richest guy in the Old Testament, and all his splendor was adorned like one of these, right? I've taken care of him. I'll take care of you. And he keeps going. If that's how God closed the grass of the field here today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So when I read this passage this week and really started to kind of pray and think around this one, I said, really, like Francis Chan said in Crazy Love, he said, worry really for for God is, for Jesus is sin. Worry is taking your problems and saying, you need to solve them because God can't. And when I read that the first time, I was like, yikes. Like my worrying over stuff says, God, I need to handle this because you can't. And that's a dangerous place to be. And Jesus says, oh, you little faith. Why are you doing that to yourself? And it keeps going. Same idea. So don't worry, saying, what am I going to eat? What are we going to drink? What will we wear? Very important things. But he says, don't worry. He keeps going. For the Gentiles, non-Jews, eagerly seek all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows you need them. He understands these real needs that we have. But he keeps going, verse 33. But what? Seek first the kingdom of God. Again, there's that relationship with God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. I love, again, I love having conversations with people and asking them about this, reminding them of the goodness of God. Yeah, that's right. He has always taken care of me. I just needed to slow down and be reminded of that. I have lots of conversations like that with other people and with myself. And sometimes Brittany has to stop me when I'm like on the worry train. I'm like, Brittany, get on, it's gonna be great. She's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How about we just stop the worry train and let's remember what God has done in our lives. And it's like, I need it too, because it turns out I'm a person and I worry about stuff that's dumb, right? And uh, because I know the goodness of God and I gotta be reminded by people that are uh, good enough to me to remind me of that. And then lastly, verse 34, therefore don't worry about tomorrow, why? Why does worry about itself, right? Tomorrow is like each day has got enough trouble of its own. I know, but I could worry about tomorrow too, Jesus. That sounds fun. And he's like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Why? Because I am the Prince of Peace, and I want you to have peace in this life, peace from God in this life, right? So here's Jesus in the most famous sermon we have of him, Matthew 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount, talking about this stuff. So if we jump back, though, into John chapter 14, that big segue there. And we look at what he says. Again, the, the follow-up to that one. So go to the next one, PJ. You have peace with God, and you have peace from God. Now, what I've seen, though, in this relationship between these two is that your peace with God is going to grow in relationship in direct proportion to your peace from God. So your peace, if you want to say it differently, your peace from God is is going to grow in direct proportion to your peace with God. Because I've seen that in other people's lives. Again, it's like I mentioned that earlier. People that have a really close relationship with Christ, like they have a serious prayer life that's consistent. They're in scripture. They have good relationships with other followers of Jesus who are reminding them, holding them accountable, doing stuff like that. Like those are the people that I see in my life that just seem to have like the peace of God is dripping all over them right? And it reminds me of where I can be, of what my life should look like. And it's because what I see in them is that their peace with God is affecting their peace from God because their trust is there. They're building that trust, just like David and Goliath, right? He was able to do that because that relationship he had with God. And so that's just a big lesson I've learned in myself and what I see in other people. So the big ones that we don't need to fear are two big ones that are easy to fear. What we see when Jesus talking about Matthew six, this peace that he offers is peace from fear about two huge things, death and the future. Because how far away is the future? Yeah, there it went. Yeah, there it went. We don't need to fear death of the future. That is huge. That is what Jesus is encompassing here and what he's talking about. The Prince of Peace is offering you something tangible. And so to jump back into chapter 14, verse 27, the second part of that. So the next slide. I do not give to you as the world gives. So we just did that whole little discussion on on the peace that he gives us. And he says, this does not look like what the world gives. Because at the time of Jesus in the Greco-Roman world, a popular saying is, if you want peace, prepare for war. It was a very common mindset. If you want peace, prepare for war. So in his day, peace was soaked in blood. And Jesus is like, it's going to be different. It's going to be soaked in the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, yeah, it'll be soaked in his blood. But what he gives you is not like what the world gives you. We today have uh, a million different ways to to organize and design our homes so they're places of peace right we have you know all this little energy we're trying to get right like we have all these little signs hanging in our homes to like try to make them peaceful places and we have like so many things that we're trying to do to chase peace and jesus is like i want you to start with me i want you to start with your relationship with me not that you know designing your house you know if it's chaotic it's probably going to be chaotic for you but that stuff is not going to bring you the peace that jesus offers it's deeper than that. It goes beyond the surface, which most of the peace things that we do just are kind of surface level. So, and he goes on. He says, don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. I love that he does that. And then a couple chapters later, we're going to see Jesus live this out. So it's not just Jesus saying this, we get to see him do it. And this is what I think is cool. In verse 25 of chapter 16, he says this in his last, final words here in this section here. He says, I've spoken these things to you in figures of speech up until now. A time's coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day, you'll ask in my name, and I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Well, Why? That's a weird thing to say. Well, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I come from God. These are the ones that the angel talked about the ones whom God favors. These are the people of God now, those that have followed Christ. And in verse 28, he says, look, I came from the Father and I've come into this world. Again, I'm leaving this world and going to the Father. His disciples said, look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. And Jesus kind of skeptically says here in verse 31, Do you now believe? Because verse 32, indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you are gonna be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. And this is what what I love about this right here. This is Jesus exemplifying the peace. He says, yet I am not alone because the father is with me. This is a struggle for us. I talk to so many people who are in difficult or lonely or depressing situations and I had one person recently, I brought this up. They were talking about being alone. And I was like, Well, you know, and they cut me off, read it, Well, you know. And they knew Pastor Kyle was about to give a pastorly churchy answer. I know what you're going to say. And I was just like, Yeah, because it's true. And they're like, Yeah, you're going to tell me that God's always with me, but this is different. And I was like, Why? <laughs> <laughs> why is it different? What do you mean by that? Well, it's just, I, I, I'm talking about somebody physical, and I'm like, right, but why? Like, If Jesus Christ is saying this right before he's about to get beaten and crucified, I am not alone because the Father is with me. How much more real can you get than that statement right there? How much more at peace can you get knowing you're about to face your death and you're like, hey, God's with me? The only reason it's different, spoiler alert, is because we make it different. We just assume, oh, God's not here with his beard and like the cool like purple sash and the robe and everything and his lamb. Being like, nah, bro, cool. Just have peace. You're all right. (laughs) You know, it's like, what, what are we doing to Jesus? Like he himself is showing us the peace of God right here. And we read over this all the time. And we dismiss it all the time. Look at your life. How many times are you stressed out? How many times are you alone, and you're not able to say this? You can't bring yourself to be in this place where God says, "I am your peace. I am with you. You're not alone." I know, but you're not here. He wasn't standing right next to Jesus either. You're like, "Well, Jesus was God. That's different." Yeah, true. Touche. But still, we're seeing that He knows He's not alone because the Father is with Him. That's peace. No matter what, He can experience it. And I and I love that scene. And then in verse 33. He tells us, guys, this difficult truth. I told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. It's going to happen. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. His victory is absolute. Again, it's not over time. I hope so. Victory was absolute, and that's what was announced In Luke chapter 2. And if you don't think about the story as a whole, you're going to miss what was being said in Luke chapter 2. You're going to miss the promise of peace that was hoped for, announced the absolute victory. And then as Jesus grew into his ministry and would face crucifixion, him saying, this is absolute, this victory, this peace that I offer you, this freedom that I offer you in this life is yours. So the thing, again, you know, peace with God. The first thing, the big one that is on my heart is have you accepted Christ as your savior? This is a huge story and him saying, this is what it's all about is me being the savior. And if you're not taking that step to say, Lord, I need you as my savior, that is step one to do that this morning, like with me before you leave or with somebody here to make sure you've got that because then that is when you see these other things that God has promised us here's what I love. Here's what I love. In the New Testament, Paul actually says very simply, like to sum all this up, he says these words right here about peace. Who is our peace? Jesus. In Ephesians 2, he just says straight up, look, Jesus is our peace because he is the Prince of Peace. He is the fulfillment of all that was talked about forever and ever and ever, thousands of years. That is who Jesus is. And that's what's available to us today, right now. Again, Jesus brings freedom. but will we take them up on it, right? Will we take them up on it? Will we see Christmas as more than decorations, as more than just the nativity scene? Will we see it as this unbelievable story that is just fit together in a way only God could do over thousands of years so that we would know that Jesus is our peace? To Again, to remind us, what do we have freedom from? What do we have peace in? Two big ones, death and the future that Jesus talks specifically about. And then for you personally, next one, where are you with this one? That peace from God grows in proportion to your peace with God. This is a lesson, like you gotta, this is spiritual muscle, just in case you weren't aware. Again, the people I look up to in my life are heavyweights when it comes to their relationship with God. And I can see it in them. And it absolutely inspires me and gives me hope And it gives me peace because I'm like, man, that's, I want my life to look like that. I want to end today with a blessing that Paul gives to people that he absolutely loved. Because I absolutely am committed to all of you. I absolutely love you. I do. And I want you to be able to see what Christ gives us. And I want to see the Holy Spirit just blow up in our church and lives being changed radically because we are making our lives look like Christ. And we are growing in our relationship with him which is affecting everything. And this is where Paul's heart was as he writes these words to the church in Thessalonica. So go to the next one. And he leaves him with this. He says, look, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. That is my desire for you as well, that you're gonna see this in your life, that the Lord of peace, because he is the Prince of Peace, and he's going to give you that peace always in every way. That's what following Jesus looks like. When you start to like radically let Jesus just have control and stop making excuses and stop holding on to stuff, like these are the things that He offers us in real time. That Jesus brings freedom. It's an unbelievable story. It really is. And to see how it all fits together is my heart for us this Christmas season. That we'll be like, wow, this is incredible. Look what God did for us. And that right there is my hope, my prayer for you guys. And you can you come pray?
0: All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for, for winning. Uh, you sent your son to do it. And on that day, the day that we're remembering now and celebrating, on that day, you declared war is over, that you've won. And so, because of that, you give us the peace. It's something that uh, many of us have to work on, many of us has to have to stretch those spiritual muscles, but as we're doing those things, God, uh, all of that is to your glory. You've done something so amazing, something so impossible, and you've changed lives in this room. Many of us can attest to the things that you've done, and all of that is for you. God, today we're praying that as we leave, that we can have the faith that it takes in you and in your victory to have the peace that you offer, that so we can trust you with all of those things that leave us anxious yeah. in a week where we're leading up to Christmas. For many of us, this is a time of celebration. For some of us it's a time of struggle, but God, for every person in this room, I pray that we can see your victory and that will give us peace. So be with us this week as we head into the missions field. As we're filled with your peace, let us spread it because God, you're so good. You've done so much.
1: and It's so now that I pray that we can be part of that. I pray this on your name. Amen. Thanks, Tim. God bless you all. Have a great week. I'll see you Saturday night, Christmas Eve here. It's going to be a good night.
0: Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quabogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.